Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Thank you, Drew. I do appreciate that. Drew does know me. Uh, but uh, probably most do not, and uh, I just want to say to, to begin with that I feel uh, like a little giddy uh, boy among men. I've heard the names of most of you who are pastoring and doing a great job. Uh, we are kindred spirit with discipleship and just loving God's word, and I have the privilege of being discipled by someone who learned discipleship by probably the same source that most of you guys did. Uh, my dad, Phil Brown, uh, was uh, called to do missionary work. He started his missionary work uh, in Mexico, working with his father, and then God led him in a different direction, went to Norway. That's where I grew up, in Norway. Uh, no, all right, just ask if I speak Norwegian, if you guys can understand, and the answer was no. So, so that's, that's, that's how I grew up, and then uh, after 10 years being there, uh, things shifted again, and he was called uh, back to Monterey, Mexico. Of course, when we were driving down, all I knew to say in Spanish was, si, uh, no, and then I learned no rebase as we were driving in because all the signs said, do not pass. That's what no rebase means. And uh, I quickly learned also that was just a suggestion because as we would see that, Dad would be passing somebody on the way. And that was, uh, I was 32 years ago, and so I had to learn Spanish, and, and it was very soon after that we were there that, uh, that Dad was, was introduced to a guy by the name Jeff Adams, who was uh, someone that really... Back in the day, loved God's word and was teaching it the way it, the way it was, and then you know learned uh, discipleship, and uh, and so uh, didn't didn't always stay the relationship as it as it was as has happened uh, to to many from what I understand, uh, but it, it was definitely laid a foundation for a whole different kind of ministry, and I was about eighteen. Uh, 16, 18 when that happened, and when I was 18 was when I really got involved in ministry myself, uh, being discipled, understanding God's ultimate goal was so different than just going to church because this is what we do, or read the Bible because this is what we do. There was a purpose behind everything, understanding the Old Testament, how it connected with the New Testament, and all this was for a fulfillment that was going to take place. And so it really changed things for, for us, for me personally. And so I got to be discipled and mentored by who was my pastor. He was also my dad. And, uh, and as I grew up and just seeing, seeing ministry, being mentored, then uh, it was uh, about 14 years ago now, or 13, when uh, he said it's time to make a change. We were going to make the change a year later. But things happened, and the switch was made 2008, and I took over the pastoring of the church that he had started, and, uh, and then ultimately just guiding a network of churches. Uh, the ones who continue to work with us is about 24 churches. Uh, we've started more of those, more than those. Some have shut down. Some have just decided not to work together uh, as a network, which is part of life. But as... I have been now directing more and just uh, b being the person trying to provide vision. Uh, I was hearing about this network that was kind of forming informally, and uh, and I I, mean, I knew of Sam all all my spiritual growth, Sam Miles, Alan Shelby, and so it was a year ago, no, not a quite year ago. It was last year that I was in a missions conference in uh, Kansas City, and I was like, I'm going to go sit down with Sam and find out what's going on. And so that was when I was introduced formally what was going on, and I was like, I want a part of this. What's, what, what, is, what is the buy-in? What, what is it that we do? Because I want this. 
And so we just talked at length that this is just, you know, people who just love the Lord, same mindset, working together, trying to fulfill the mission. And so that's exactly what I want to be a part of. And then when James got to visit me, who is my pastor, my sending pastor here from this church, then we talked about the fact I was going to be here. He said, well, if you're going to be there anyway, since you're going to be there anyway, then you might as well anyway uh, teach uh, a breakout session. And I was so pumped. Of course, I didn't show it in my face at the beginning, but then I, the, but the, but then I, I corrected that. I'm just very, very humbled and very excited to be here. And so when we talked about the different uh, possibilities, an apprenticeship came up. And so uh, the word apprenticeship, I had to look it up to be able to really just give you a definition. It's a person who is learning a trade from a skilled employer, having agreed to work for a fixed period at low wages. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's an awesome part right there, low wages. Normally, ministry is absolutely no wages whatsoever. Uh, you can find that online at ucas.com. Apprenticeship in a different uh, place, uh, uh, just a definition from, from the web, uh, mightyrecruiter.com says, it's a training program for individuals who desire to become recognized in a specific trade or craft and do so in a way that adheres to the most current standards. And so apprenticeship is taking someone and who's, who's teaching them uh, not only to live the way they should live, but the way I see it is you're teaching someone to do the work of the ministry. And where I'm focusing this uh, material per se, the, what, what, what we worked on, it was something that just uh, a year ago, right, right before the pandemic, we had one of our uh, you know, missions conference kind of outreach celebration, kind of a, a thing we call it SEMA, which uh, the equivalent is Summit, but the C-I-M-A, all those letters, they stand for something, which is to celebrate missions for the impulse, uh, for the impulse of missions. And so when we were in one of those uh, um, breakout sessions, I, my dad and I, we decided to uh, write out this material so he, we could teach the pastors who are now, you know, they are guiding their church to understand the need for the developing of leaders and also to think ahead because there's going to be a day and it comes a lot quicker than anyone thinks when your time is up, when you no longer have the, the stamina, the strength, and you should be seeing who is going to take your place. And so this is, this is kind of like the mentality behind you as a senior pastor should be not just discipling, but you should be reproducing other pastors. I understand that in a church, not everyone is called to be a pastor. And this is a reality. I, I agree with that. And that's one of the things that, you know, as I've talked with my brother, who we've been in ministry all this time. Many of you know Scott Brown. Uh, probably like him better than me, but that's always the brotherly rivalry, right, Chris? I mean, we're always comparing each other. But we would talk about how the fact that Rebe, which is the network of churches, interdependent churches, are working there in Mexico. And like James says, we've had the privilege to send some out to Dominican Republic and Panama. We just want to continue because reaching the world is what God has called us to do. And so we... Uh, it, what we have discussed is we're so heavily on the fact that you've got to be a pastor or a missionary. And everyone is, seems to be called to ministry, and that would be the way that we would talk about it. So, you, you know, we would be discussing, he would say, not everyone is called to pastor or, or to, you know, to be a missionary. And then it would seem that for, in our churches, it would be like, okay, so we start out as youth pastor but, you know, that's just the starting point. If you work up, then you become like a pastor of adults or a co-pastor, uh, you know, an associate pastor. And then when you grow up from there, then the next one is senior pastor. And that would be, you know, the, the, or lead pastor, whatever you want to call, the, you know, the main guy. And, and, and that is not necessarily so because some are just gifted 
to be great number twos. And they've just never been called to be a, a, a number one, that guy that has to forge the vision. And so this is, this is true. But as pastors, I would argue that part of our job should be to produce other pastors. And as lead pastors, part of our job should be to produce other lead pastors. If not, then at some point, we're not going to have anybody to actually turn the ministry over to. And so uh, one of the things that I have seen just looking at Scripture, you go to, uh, a, and I'm just going to walk you through Moses and Joshua. Uh, it's one of several examples. I think you see the same thing with David and Solomon. I think you see the same thing with Elijah and Elisha. Just two very clear uh, pictures of a man that was called and clearly passed the responsibility to someone else, clearly trained someone else. Um, Exodus chapter 17 is the first mention of Joshua in the Bible, and you see that Joshua is right there with Moses, and he's working with him, and he, he receives instruction um, in verse 9. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with, the, with Amalek uh, to, tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on, on top of the hill. And so we know that Moses had to hold up his hand, and every time that it went down, then they would lose, and when he would pick it up, then they would win. And so he got tired, and Aaron and Hur, they stayed by him, and, and they, they held up his hands. Well, then after the whole, you know, the win, verse 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. But this part of, look, you need to write these things down, but then you need to rehearse it with Joshua. Why? Because as we know, just by continuing forward, Joshua was going to be the guy. He was going to be the person. He was going to be the apprentice that was going to be, then I think, the, I think protege is another word that, that can be rightly used to say he was going to be the, the next guy to take over. He wasn't the number two necessarily, but he did a lot of that work. But, but this, is, this is the point. As pastors, we disciple. But as pastors, we should also make sure that we are looking for an apprentice, someone who we are teaching specifically to take our place, whether that be, uh, you know, when the time comes that we are called to go the way of, 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 all, of all the earth, and that is one of the phrases that Moses or, or, or uses in, in the context of Joshua, I think it's Joshua, but the point is we're all going to go sometime. Who is going to continue this work when you leave? And, uh, and then, you know, my first point is going to say, what kind of mindset do you have as a pastor? Are you just interested in a church, or has God called you to reproduce this church, and then to reproduce it not only locally, but, you know, God has called us to, to reach the ends of the earth, and th those things don't happen just by accident. And so that's where I think that as pastors, and I know I'm not talking just to pastors, but my, 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 my emphasis is for you pastors, the apprenticeship in discipleship, but this could be applied to anybody. If you're not called to be a pastor or a missionary and you're a discipling, just understand that it's more than just teaching God's word. You're walking with them and showing them the craft of whatever it is that you do for a living. So, I mean, just uh, Exodus chapter 24, verse 13. Again, you see how when Moses is called to go up to the Mount of God, then Joshua is with him. And, and that is just clear uh, apprenticeship. These are the things you have to do. You have to choose out a Joshua and have him with you constantly. In chapter 32, and verse 17 through 18, uh, you see them coming down from the mountains. So chapter 24 is when they go up, and then chapter 32 is when they're coming down. 
And it's just a really cool thing that happens in verse 17. Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. And he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And that is the title of this week, from what I understand. You know, we're talking about war. And so he says there's a, there's a noise of war. But verse 18, he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And so what Moses is doing is he's teaching Joshua how to distinguish noises, how to distinguish what's going on. It's not just the discipleship process. He's teaching him everything about the craft, everything about the work, everything about what, what ministry as a pastor is about. And so, of course, we know that singing is a great, great thing, praising and worshiping, and there's a time for singing, and it does win battles, you know, as in the case of Jehoshaphat and his a group in the Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. But we know that this singing was not the right kind of singing that they were doing. Uh, and normally when you're singing and praising the Lord, you're not declothing at the same time. And that is what seemed to be going on right now. So this is part of the apprenticeship. Chapter 33 in verse 11 uh, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face. I mean, this was his personal, intimate time, as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again into the camp. But a servant, Joshua, servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And so there's this relationship that is being developed. Well, it was no surprise when chapter 27 of Numbers comes along. Numbers chapter 27, and uh, Moses is coming to the end of his time, and verse 18, and, and, and so on, says, The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man of whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight." And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, and all that, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, and he shall counsel for him, uh, for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At the, word, at the word shall they go out, at his word, I'm sorry, shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in. So he's going to follow God. He's going to search God, uh, you know, uh, through the Urim, but it's going to be his word that's going to make everybody move. He's going to be that person. And all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Verse 22, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And Moses, what he did was, he gave him the position that he had. And after that, then the people followed Joshua the same way that they followed Moses. But how many churches nowadays, the pastor is done for whatever reason, and then the next guy that comes in, who knows? Because the pastor never prepared a very clear, this is my guy, this is my Joshua, this is the one who's going to take over. Now, Joshua was privy to all of this. He grew up in this. He saw this happening. He saw Moses and everything he did. was very purposeful in everything he did. He followed God. But notice in Joshua chapter how Joshua ended his tenure. And, and in, in chapter 23, the very first verses, it says, And it came to pass, chapter, Joshua chapter 23, verse 1, and it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. 
and ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from you and drive them from out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. And then he gives them another awesome speech in chapter 24 when he gathers everybody together again. And verse 20, you know, the verse 15 is that famous one where it says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then his time is over, and he never set someone. There was never a specific leader that he put to go on. Now, I, I realize that there are some very cool pictures that God allow that to happen doctrinally. You know, you go from this time of Joshua, a clear picture of I mean, the same name as Jesus, you know, and you go from a raptured time to the time of Judges, which is a very, you know, cool doctrinal picture, even of tribulation. But there is that that aspect that Judges talks about again and again, there was no king and everyone did what they wanted to do. And so I would submit to you that Joshua probably thought, you know, Moses, he, he really did a good job and I'm glad he set me up, but maybe the people, they just, they should have a lot of leaders rather than one leader because sometimes, you know, it's dangerous to have one guy. Moses did a great job, I did a great job. But maybe someone else can't handle all that. So let's just divide it up. Maybe that's what he thought. I, I mean, there is some, that part, I don't, I, I don't know why he didn't do it. But, but I would say that we would be smart to learn from some of these examples. And to say, you know what? Let me do a job like Moses did. And let me bring along, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples. And even those 12 disciples... There was an order of leaders, leaders of leaders, the leader of the leaders of leaders. And so there was a very, but they all ended up doing incredible stuff also individually. And so as pastors, I'm not saying just pick one and that's it. You only have, you're supposed to have one disciple because I think that we're supposed to be reproducing ourselves into many pastors and we should be sending out missionaries that should do the work but that normally doesn't just happen. Is, is, that's the premise of this, of this course, of this lesson. So a lot of this stuff is going to be, you know, just things that we have learned uh, through a, a biblical philosophy of discipleship. And as we have gone through and discipled many, many people, we have sent out many pastors uh, some continue to minister awesome, even though they don't fellowship with us necessarily. Some do not pastor anymore. And so uh, we're, definitely we are not perfect, and uh, we are still learning. And I want to learn from you guys uh, because I admire what I hear about you and what you are doing as a network of churches. Uh, but God has been very kind in my life to let me see a good example, uh, and as I sat down with Dad, uh, and we were going through all this, then there's a lot of just that wisdom of an old man that uh, that has uh, that has done great things for the Lord. And so I hope this some of this helps you out. So it, what what we started out with is the first point, and I don't have uh, any uh, notes for you because. Uh, it was like, like a four-hour course that I'm going to teach in an hour and 15 minutes. So I won't be able to, to share everything. Uh, and so you guys would be going crazy if you had to fill in the blanks. And uh, so, so just, I, I'm going to jump as needed. But the, but the very first point is everything starts with your mindset. That's number one. Everything starts with your mindset. You guys have heard of, you know, the leader, guru of leaders, Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people. And so I think the second one that he mentions is you have to start with the end in mind. 
I, I think that's basically like equivalent to that. You have to know what you're going for. And so it, it all starts with you knowing what you're trying to do. What is that vision that God has put in your heart? And it should be, it should be biblical. It should mimic what you see, the pictures of the Old Testament, what you see in the New Testament. Paul is an incredible example. He is the apostle for the Gentiles, and he was one of those that had a network of churches. Uh, you know, he had Timothy working for him. He had Titus working for him. And, and you know, he, he, he would tell Titus, hey, I need for you to go, and I need for you to go for this whole island. You need to go about all these cities. You need to correct. There's some things that aren't working. And you need to establish uh, elders, which we understand to be pastors. You need to teach them. You need to tell them if they want to be a part of this and they want to do this work, well, there's some character qualities that they have to have. And so that's what he writes to Timothy. And, and so... When he goes around and talks about this offering that they were going to raise to be able to help the poor in Jerusalem because there was a drought that was about to hit in Acts chapter 11. And so he's writing out to the Corinthians and he says, hey, this offering, I've, I've told the Galatians uh, that they are supposed to be a part of this. I ordered the Galatians, what it says in 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. So as I've ordered them I'm telling you as well, you have to be a part of this. And so we understand that that is probably like equivalent to missions and how the, this network of churches, all of them from Achaia, from Macedonia, the Galatians, the Corinthians, all these people are pitching together because there was a specific need that was, that was in Jerusalem. And so what is your goal? What do you see your... Uh, how, how is that vision for you? Do you feel like God has just called you to a small church? And, I mean, that's, that's not just a, a small thing. Uh, it, it's, I mean, we need a lot of churches. And, and if that is where God has called you, be faithful there. Uh, but maybe you're like, oh, man, I think God has called me to... Maybe started the small church, but then I'm supposed to make this a big church. This has to be a big church. It has to have a big impact. Or maybe from this smaller church, I don't want to grow more than 50 or 100 or 200, but then I want to be sending out. I want to be sending out because there are other areas where I am that needs to know the Lord. We've got to send missionaries out. What is that goal? What does it look like? I'm just going to be honest with you. For most uh, they're just happy with a small congregation of 70. That's the average size church of right now, our network of churches. And it would seem, that was why we wrote this material, it would seem that they would be content with that. So as leaders, we're trying to like, you know, elbow them, kick them a little bit in the, in the, in the shins. And hey, you know, there's a whole world that needs to be reached. So broaden your vision, open your eyes have a vision. Ask God for great things. But obviously, with great things, there's a lot of sacrifice involved. And let's just be honest, that's where some of us, we are just not willing to put in the time, uh, the frustration, the money. It takes a lot of money to get a church going. And sometimes the offerings aren't coming in the way they should, and so you have to be you know, creative and, and find out, God, help us to do this because this is what you've put on my heart. This is what we need to do. Your family has to be willing to put the sacrifice in. So sometimes we're okay with the small church necessarily because that's what our vision is. That's not, not what we want, but we have to make a decision. Am I going to put in the sacrifice? So from here to five years, from here to 10 years, wherever you are right now is where God has you. But where do you want to be? What is it, what are, what are those accomplishments that God has put in your heart just in the light of Scripture of what ministry should look like? And, and again, Jesus is our ultimate example. He gave us Paul who wrote so much of the New Testament to kind of give us a guide. And, and so, again... I would, I would submit to you that we probably should aspire not just to pastor a church, but to pastor a network of churches. All of us, networks, 
And what I mean by that is, you know, you've got generations of churches, daughter churches, granddaughter churches. You have great-granddaughter churches. And we're all fellowshipping together because we have a common goal. But, I mean, we're all over the world because we are pastors that have a mindset. We have to reach the world for Christ. And so everything that we do will depend on that mentality of what we're trying to produce. And so we know that, you know, there are different levels of leadership, and though we need every kind of leaders, my question is, what kind of leader are you trying to reproduce? To What kind of apprentice do you want to have? Just someone that, I mean, whatever I ask him to do, I know he's going to do that. You know, he just, he's just that... He works as a leader because he's guiding people, but he's only going to do what I ask him to do. Or is it that, man, I want those those self-starters, you know, those that they're just thinking about the next thing. And so you almost have to, you know, hey, relax, we'll we'll get to that, you know, but he's coming up to you constantly with more ideas. How about we do this? How about this other? I was thinking, man, those, those leaders that are being produced are awesome. And you, you want those, obviously. And you're not, everyone, not everyone's going to get to that. But then there's this other whole level of, of, of leaders that are being developed. And, and they see, they want to reproduce what they have seen God do in your life. And they want to go. And they want to pastor. And they want to, to, to see a whole network be birthed out of their loins because God has put that dream and that vision in, in your heart. And, and like I said, uh, God will put in your heart exactly. He, he, will, he will guide you in his word. But, but understand that most of the things that he will put in your heart to do, biblically, it's going to require a whole lot. And you're not going to feel like you know how to do that. Uh, and so that's where you need people in your life to help you, to guide you. And that's what you need to be for the people that are in your ministry. So as a leader, you must determine what type of leaders you desire to develop. What kind of leaders do you want in your ministry? Uh, and, and that's where we have this little controversy going on. You know, are leaders born, you know, these special, you know, the, the, the Alan Shelby's, the Sam Miles of this world, are they, are they born that way? Or were they developed to be that way? To, to just see these things, to just have this insatiable desire to do God's work at an incredible high level and with quality. Uh, and so I, I, would, I would submit that uh, Jesus came to his disciples and said, I will make you fishers of men. And and normally, the ones that he used are not those super talented guys, you know, that everyone's like, oh, wow, he's going to tear it up. We normally say that about people when they're unsaved. You're like, oh, man, if God could just get a hold of that guy, oh, my goodness, watch out. But it seems like God never gets a hold of those guys. And all of a sudden, this other, you know, weirdo comes up and is like, why did you give me the weirdo on my team, Lord? And, but... Boy, just the desire, just the, oof, he wants to do God's word. He wants to live it. He's willing. And so he starts out with just understanding the basic instructions that you're giving. And that's what Paul talked to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. When he says, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. So that's why, you know, people like I get the opportunity to be able to do stuff in God's work because when people see, oh, is, I mean, is that really Brian doing that? Yeah, believe it or not, this is how awesome God is because he can use you and me 
And so, uh, are people born this way, or are they developed? Are they taught? Is God the person that molds by just the power of the word of God being taught? And I say that just like the nation of Israel was not chosen because they were the more in number than any people, for verse 7 of Deuteronomy 7, ye were the fewest of all people. That's why it was what he says. I, I submit that our job is to see the people that are willing and to say, this is the person who God has put un under my care. This is someone who wants who is willing, he has the character qualities, he is, he is teachable, and these are the ones that we need to develop to have a mindset of building a, a church that will reproduce, that will go to all nations. Great people such as Moses, David, and Gideon, and the list is long, were chosen when they admitted they were the weakest the list is enormous of people that the world would never consider as great. They were nothings, but God converted into great leaders. And so this is the question. What is that dream or that vision that God has put in your heart for ministry? And if it's too small, then could I just suggest to you that you go back to the drawing board and say, God... Am, am I just being a little bit scared here? Am I being a little bit weak? Because I would submit that God wants... Because as we saw, by nature, us as humans, we want to do stupid things. Some of us have more talent for stupidity than others, but we all have a level of stupidity. And so part of growing... It's the same thing as our kids, the first thing I say to when I'm teaching, you know, parenting, I say, don't think that, oh, my goodness, God gave him just such a precious angel. I hope I don't screw it up. No. The Bible says he gave you a lying, stinking human being that from, from birth it's, it's, has its sin nature. It's going to lie. It's a sinner. So that's where teaching, a lot of teaching is as soon as they get of age, the rod is doing a lot of the work. Amen to that? I know it's not, you know, uh, and I don't know how much. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the U.S., so I don't know how much. In Mexico, I just don't care. But in the U.S., I don't know how much I should or should not say. But, you know, I know we've gotten away from spanking, but spanking is really a, a good, it's a really good uh, parenting uh, tool. Uh, it really worked for me, Wonders. It worked for my kids. And I hope that my kids just continue to love my grandkids with the belt. It, it just, it's incredible. If you do it right, you know, there's a specific place God created those behinds so gorgeous because all the nerves seems to go to those cheeks. And, and so you, boom, right there. But there's no bone structure right there. So it's just all padding. And it just, it's just great. But you have to be willing to go through the whole process of discipline. Do, do, do we agree? Am I preaching to the choir right now? Okay, because I'm getting mixed, mixed emotions. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm seeing you guys like, what, you still do that? Yeah, we do that. Uh, but it really does work because it is so biblical. And so when, when, well, how do I get sidetracked with that? Sorry, I just love spanking kids. My kids, my kids, my kids, only my kids. All right. And the, uh, the, the youngest is 16, so it's, it's, that whole period is done, and I miss it. But, <laughs> but developing leaders is not much different except for you don't get to beat them. You just have, it's all words, you know, it's just all trying, but there's a lot of correcting. And so you have to be able to, uh, you have to find people that are faithful, and Second uh, Timothy 2, 2, you know, the things that I was heard of, of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to just any fool that is willing to hear, who shall be able to teach others also, right? No, that's not how it says it. It has to be faithful men. So you're looking for those who are willing. And not everyone will. And not everyone can become great leaders. King Saul is a great example. Now, God chose King Saul, right? 
and there are several of those things where I don't understand sometimes God's mind and all of it, but I don't question it. I know I'm the one who has to figure it out and find out why God did what he did. And he chose King Saul. But I think that part of the reason why he chose him was to also show us that not everybody can. Not everybody is willing. And so, my goodness, he looked the part. He was, you know, awesome from what we understand physically. He was obviously much taller uh, than me. And he was, I mean, a good-looking guy. But every time... He showed that he didn't have the right character. Just for example, his relationships, personal relationships with his own son, messed up relationship with young David. I mean, this guy was crazy. On one hand, oh my goodness, you play so beautiful, David. Please stay here in the king. I mean, in the, not in the king. Please stay in the castle, in the palace. You know, stay here with me. Be, you know, play whenever I go crazy. And then all of a sudden, that's chapter 16. Now chapter 17, they go to battle, and he is the one who kills off Goliath. They're like, who is that kid? What do you mean who's that kid? You know him. He's been playing the harp for you for a while. And, and then all of a sudden, he loves him, and then he hates him. I mean, he just, he just, he's a nutcase. Prophet uh, Samuel he had a, a weird relationship with him. He wouldn't wait for him when he was supposed to. And then when Samuel said, look, you messed up, he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know, but I really didn't. You know, we did exactly what we were supposed to do. Like, no, you didn't. And, and you're going to encounter those that show, hey, I'm willing, I want to be king, yeah, but then don't. And so there are going to be times in your life where you're the prophet, Samuel, and you're trying to teach Guys, uh, to make it work, and then God's going to tell you, like he told uh, Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Now, I really want you to just to see, these, uh, see this verse with your eyes, because you're going to go over this several times. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse... The Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So there's going to be times where you're working, and all of a sudden it's like, this is the guy. And then he's not the guy because he just doesn't have the character. And you have to learn how to just say, you know what? Sorry, God rejected you. Now, did they kick? You know, do you kick a Saul out of your church because he wasn't re ready to be the king, the guy? No, that's I mean, that's not what was done. And there are going to be people in your church that are just not going to make it happen. But you've got to learn how to say. And it's easy for a prophet to say, "Ah, I can't waste my time with him." But for us mercies, oh my goodness, that's blasphemy. Waste your time with someone who. Jesus shed his blood for that person? You can't say that. You don't know what God's going to do. That person can change. You got to put in more prayer time. Have you done the fasting thing? I mean, there's so many more things that you can do. Don't just say that that person is not going to make it. But this is where, again, it depends on what you're trying to do. If if pastoring just one church is, is, is it for you, great. Then you just have to. But if you are called to reproduce churches, to reproduce ministers, pastors that are going to be sent out, and one day is going to take your place, then you have to know how to say, all right, I can't spend my time crying over this person. Someone else might make it happen. And so that's where, you know, back to, what uh, we learned about Moses. You know, Moses spent time with Joshua. He didn't spend it with every one of those guys. And even though Joshua had a, you know, a whole team, there were 12 of them that went out to spy. There's only two that came back with the right conviction. And so, you know, he didn't and just cry over those that were not willing to pay the price. So you, you don't want to waste your time with the ones that again and again, they don't pass their test. Find someone else to love up on them, you know, don't give up on their, on their person 
I like the way Thessalonians says it, and I can't remember exactly where it is or exactly how it says it in English because I preach in Spanish all the time. Uh, but basically he's saying the ones that aren't following what we are teaching, and I think it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, and it says the ones that aren't following, then, you know, you just got to put them aside. He said Don't, you're not getting rid of them. You're not kicking them out. They're not your enemy. You're loving them, but you just you got to put them aside. That's the mentality that I'm saying here. And that's, that's just what we learn in time. Not everyone is going to make it happen. So that takes us now to number three. You have to connect with these apprentices frequently. It's, it's not, not going to happen by you just pastoring your church, uh, preaching on Sundays, thinking that, man, this, this, you know, the next guy is just going to pick up after every message everything that I'm saying, and it's just going to grow automatically. You have to spend the time. Now, it's always better if you got to disciple your apprentice from the beginning, you know, discipleship one or whatever you call that first process, you know, where you're teaching them the basic things. Like, I love how, and I don't know how many use the exact same thing, but, you know, it's the material of the ultimate goal of God and how it starts out with the Old Testament, the New Testament, the uh, the fulfillment and the great commission is what we're supposed to do at this time, which five objectives, evangelism, establishing churches, discipling, so they conform to the image of Christ to glorify God. And that glorification is totally connected to the great commission because it's by bearing much fruit. And the discipleship is just that key element between the two, uh, you know, numerical evangelism and establishing churches to connect to the, uh, you know, spiritual people conforming to the life of Christ where you can't really count, you know, in this church right now, how many are conformed to the image of Christ? Well, you know, we had about seven, but a second ago, someone got really ticked off, and so now we have to take him off the list, but he repented, and now he's back on the list, and so that whole thing is hard to keep track of exactly what's going on, so these spiritual discipleship is just key, and so we really spend the time, especially our, our prospects, to be those leaders they have to understand this because everything that we do in ministry, you can find in that chart for us. It just makes it so simple to know whatever I'm doing, I can find it in that chart. I got to know the levels of discipleship to know where, where I'm, how I'm working with the person because I'm going to speak differently if they're just in enlightenment or illumination, you know, they're in the beginning as opposed to when they are developing leadership. Because if they're developing leadership, I can be more direct. I need to be more direct. Uh, but if they have come to this point, they should be to this point at least, and they aren't, then I go back to speaking to them as babes. Just like Paul told the Corinthian church in chapter 3 and verses 1, uh, one to 3. So, so this whole understanding, it's, I, whenever I, I find a candidate, maybe I didn't disciple them, but I know, man, this guy, he's... He's standing out. God's doing work in his, in his heart, and I'm, I'm praying about this person. Well, then I will try to meet with them more frequently. And that is what I saw in my father's ministry, and that he would just spend time with different groups of guys at different times and just spend the time talking over anything and everything. You need to spend the time you know, explaining why we did this, why we made this decision, the process of how we got to this decision. So here's, here's a little interesting dynamic. I'm not going to take much time. It's a very practical issue. But have you noticed that it would seem that as pastors, we're always talking about people? And, and so all of a sudden, it's like, are we murmuring? Because we're constantly talking about people. And that's something that happened in our home. You know, how do you differentiate between what I'm telling, you know, Mrs. So-and-so not to be doing because she's always talking about people, but here in the home, we don't stop talking about people. That was one of the things that, in, in my, my dad's perspective, when he tells his testimony, that's an awesome testimony because he went away from the Lord. God almost killed him. He came back to the Lord. I don't have that testimony. I kept telling him, and I wish I had that one. He says, no, you do not wish you had that one. In hindsight, I'm glad I don't have that testimony. I, you know, God had my, my heart the whole time. But, you know, when you're speaking to teens, that kind of is, is kind of cool, you know. To scare them back, you know. Anyway, 
But why did he, why did he go away from the Lord? What was it that did it for him? And, and he's just told me it was, it was growing in a ministry home where, you know, all lovey-dovey to the people at the church, and then you get in the car and you start talking smack about people like, I'm just an idiot, you know, you puke and just the whole time. It's like, wait a second. There's such a hypocrisy to what you're doing and what you're saying over here to what's happening here. And then there were a couple of moments in my life where I'm like, wait a second, we spent the last time dogging so-and-so in our church, so are we doing the same thing? And this is what I believe was a key for my life. Because every time that we would talk about someone, we would always take it to the point of, so this is what the Bible says about this, and this is how we have to guide them, and this is how we have to teach them, and this is, how, this is the end result. And so as I was growing up, I was hearing a lot of talk. Sometimes it was great. Oh, as a, as a, as a preacher's kid, when there was like really stuff going on with you know, mom and dad and you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, Oh, so hard to see that person. You'd go to church, you hear what's going on, and you know, I mean, there's clashing hard, and you go to church and you see that person, it's like a monster to you. When you're, when you're growing up, when you're a PK, those things are hard, really, to, 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 to deal with. And then as I have grown up, I have seen, you know, the same thing has happened. All of a sudden, I see kids, and I see the way that they're treating me, and their faces like, ah, like, I know what's going on here. I'm not a monster. Boom! <laughs> I just like to sometimes scare them. Just, I think it builds character. But at the end of the day, that whole process of talking about this is why we did this, this is how we did this, this is where we're going, I, I think that sometimes we get too busy to just do ministry that we don't teach ministry. And that is something that I am so grateful for all the craziness of my dad. I'm so grateful that that was done throughout my whole time as, as growing in the Lord. It was, it was taking the time to teach. It was taking the time to show. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to walk through that steps in, in just a second. But that is what you have to do with those that are showing that interest. You have to spend that time. And you have to walk them through. You know, don't just talk about the person End every conversation with, this is now, this is our takeaway. I'm not, don't, don't use that person as your uh, psychologist or what would you call the, you know, you, you, just, you just dump on that person. You're dumping, you know, what? Yeah, to vent. It's not the person you just vent with. Oh, you know, uh, my number two guy, I'm so ticked off at this and this and that. I'm sorry, I just had to get it out. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I just had to get it out. Don't do that. Be the man of God. Be the teacher. If you have to tell him, explain to him. If you need a vent, then go to the woods and vent with the Lord. You know, tell, tell the tree. Uh, picture of man, you know, Jesus Christ. Tell, tell... Tell it to some, but when you are explaining, and always end, I'm not just venting here. This is the reason why I'm explaining it to you. Anyway, that's really what did it for me. It was, it was very important. So what happened when I was growing up is after I'd hear these things, then I started working with dad as, as I, I wasn't allowed to call myself a youth pastor, so I was just a youth, a youth, uh, uh, a, a guy in charge of youth, and then finally I got the title, and, uh, and I mean, I just, I just enjoyed working with youth. And, and so as I would grow up, then there would be times when we would, Dad and I would be talking. And I'd say, okay, wait, before you tell me what I'm supposed to do or, you know, the end result here, let me tell you what I think it is, and then you tell me if I'm thinking right. And so he's like, okay. So I would say, I think this is what's going on. And he'd say, y y you nailed it. Or, uh, no. Kind of like with, with, with Joshua and Moses, you know. Ooh, I think there's war in the camp. Uh, no. This right here is singing. And I bet you when we get down there, there's going to be declothing. So you have to spend that time. I mean, it, and it, it takes a lot of time. You've got to do whatever it means necessary. If you are not willing to spend, to sacrifice the time with this apprentice, then we believe it is impossible to create great leaders who will in turn be able to 
create other great leaders. And I believe that in our hearts, this is what God has called us to do. And, and, and I, I think of, if there's any network of pastors, it's here where we want to see that happen. Even when you can see it in the world. I mean, you've seen churches, you've seen other ministers and pastors where they, great at this, great at that, but then there was no succession. And uh, I was just up in the Northeast, and a friend of mine was talking about Friendly's. Does anybody guys know the, the restaurant chain Friendly's? No? Great desserts. But they're going out of business because the guy was an incredible visionary, did a bunch of them up in the Northeast, but then he, he didn't have anybody to succeed him. Sold it off, didn't like what they were doing, bought it back, built it up again. Now he's getting old, he's going to sell it off, and it's just going to... Very different story with Chick-fil-A. You guys familiar with Chick-fil-A? Come on, there's a Chick-fil-A nation right here. And there's a whole different philosophy. And from what I understand, the boys are involved, and they're just taking it to the next level. And so, again, that's just a very physical, physical example. But I believe you see that with a Moses and a Joshua, David and Solomon. And then what happened with, with Solomon's son? Obviously, he wasn't taught. Obviously, he wasn't trained the same way. The first problem, you know, the first situation, he didn't listen to the wise counsel of the elderly. He went with the youngins. Wasn't used to hearing the older. Obviously, Solomon, I believe, I would say, dropped the ball. Elijah and Elisha. And I was just reading over that again, just to make sure. And Elisha, interesting, he had his guy. His name is Giesi. And I can't pronounce it in English. I'm not going to try. What's, what's Gehazi. That is so awesome. Gehazi. And Gehazi, he messed up when he wanted to go the, the, the garments that was offered. And Elisha said, it's not time for that. This was not the right thing to do. And so leprosy that was in the life of the Gentile Naaman, that's his name, that's going to now go into you and to your family. And so he lost that position. He was his servant. He was the guy for his number two. But then there was never anybody else that, that took up the mantle. And that's where that phrase comes from, the, 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 the change from Elijah to Elisha. So let me suggest uh, that we need, to, uh, we need to find those people in our lives. And then one of the key things is understanding that apprentice's life mission. And this is, I, I think this is more important than what, we, than what we understand. You have to spend time at the beginning knowing what is important to this person. When it comes to developing leaders, you need to know what they are, what they are searching for, what God has called them to do. And at the beginning, they might not have that all you know, focused or understood, but they have to... You have to listen to where they want to go. Because if you're trying to develop someone to be a pastor and they have no desires to be a pastor, then again, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to be frustrated. So you need to listen. You need to hear your work as a teacher or mentor, discipler, in the life of that person is to know where they want to serve God in ministry. And that, that's something that I saw again, my father do again and again time we would sit down with someone, the first question is he would ask, where do you want to be in five to ten years? Uh, I mean, I would cringe most of the time because most people don't seem to be thinking about that stuff. Uh, so they start the stuttering, but it's always something that's fascinated him. He's always, always thinking ahead. That was one thing that he really had going for him, that thinking ahead. So listening, where do you want to go? And then, obviously, you as a pastor, you also, you have goals for the person, even further than they have for themselves. That's just part of our, our life as a leader. We've got to see further ahead. And so you're listening, and then you're also trying to take them to where... Now, why is this so important? Well, because there's going to be times when you have to correct them. So a really cool way to correct them is just helping them by understanding, all right, if you want to get to this place, if God has called you to ministry, if God has called you to be a missionary then this, these are things that you have to work on. It makes your time of correction so much easier. 
makes us so much, pos- much more positive. Because you're not just, oh, man, you're really uh, you know, cramping my style. Oh, you're really irritating me right now. It's not about you. And that was a key thing in disciplining my kids because I learned from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 12, verse 11, it's not about the present. It's about the future. Discipline is always, correcting is always about the future. It's not about what you did. It's so that you don't do it again. It's so that you learn from this. So there's fruit of righteousness that comes out of this. Present, hurt, pain, humility. But the future is so bright if you submit to this correcting. And so when you know where they want to go and you've discussed this, you can easily make that happen. All right, so I'm going to give you one more thing because, man, time just ran from me. But four steps to really helping to grow mature leaders. This is point number Number five, and I'll end with this one. Uh, you need to take them by the hand, first of all, and show them exactly how to do what you want them to do. So Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, real quick. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. Paul says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So one of the things that is very typical for a pastor to do, you know, when somebody, you know, said, man, I want to be, be a leader. So most will say, all right, well, then I got I, I to gotta put them to do something. And so, well, here, here's a ministry that, that's not going on. Start that. And since we don't know what to do or we haven't done it, then we just expect for that person to do it. And so most of the time, you really need to show that apprentice, this is what I want you to do, this is how I want you to do it. And so it's kind of like when I started hearing John and Brandon, John, Dan, Dan and Brandon, I like changing names, by the way. So Dan, I just changed your name to John right now. You are welcome. Uh, But but, but Dan and Brandon, I was hearing them talk about the Bible studies and and how they do the Discovery Bible method in the, from creation to Christ. And so I heard what they taught. And then I went and I started doing it. And then I called them up. I said, all right, I'm doing this and this and that. Like, I got to speak to Brandon. And I think I got to speak to James Fifey also. I said, so they both start saying the same thing. Well, you are obviously a preacher, and so you're talking way too much. Shut up, which is very hard to do. But just learning how to better do that. And so what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm letting them show me exactly how it's done. And I said, I'm going to be up there one of those times soon because I just want to see it more in action. I want to do it to the best of my ability. And so as, as a pastor, somebody wants to learn. Don't think that just preaching or even seeing. The first calls that I normally got from the pastors that were sent out and they started pastoring is they would call me and say, uh, I'm about to have a quinceañera. What in the world do I do? For those of you who don't know, quinceañera is when a, a, a girl in Mexico turns 15 years old. It's a wedding without the groom. I mean, there's a service. There's the, she walks down the aisle. I mean, it's the whole thing. She's dressed in pink rather than white. At least that was the case. It's changed so much now. But it's this whole thing. And it's like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, how long were you in the church? How many of these things did you not see growing up in the church? I just figured they'd see it. They'd know how to do it. That's what I did. I saw dad do it several times. Like, I know what, he, I know what to do. That's, I'm going to do what he did. But it's interesting because people, they're not thinking that way. And so I learned, you know, the next, uh, the next call was a marriage. Uh, I don't know what to do. And then it was the funeral. And so what I started doing is now when I do it, I have some of my guys. Now watch what I'm doing here, Okay. And I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So I'm teaching them as I do it. And then I don't necessarily have to do it in a class, but we can do that. I'm sure JBI has a class on a lot of these things of practical things, what to do. But if you take the time to show them, then the next step is you've got to let them do it as you watch them. Step number two. So number one, show them. Physically show them. Talk them through it. Secondly, but observe them doing it. Watch them. See how they're doing. See what's being said. See how they're saying it. And then 
Give them space to work it for a while, but then come back. Come back and see them after a while. Don't expect what you don't inspect. That's that's a saying. You've got to come back to it. You've got to make sure. And then you continue to administrate from afar. It, It takes so much just loving up on them and caring for them. And so call them every once in a while. Those pastors that you send out will just enjoy spending time and listen to them. You know, don't use it for just you teaching more. It's more about you listening now and just making the corrections and loving up on them and, and uh, letting them know that they're doing a good job. And they might not do everything exactly the same way that you would, but there's, there's, there's come some of that freedom. You have to teach something and say this should never change, but there are other things that should change, and, and you should just uh, encourage them in those changes. Again, half of what I had in material, but I hope some of this stuff uh, helps you guys. I know it did for me, and just hanging out with you guys is going to continue to help me. God bless. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.